Are you ready for your customers to know, like, and trust you? Well, email marketing is by far the most effective way of achieving that. And I've partnered with Aweber to give you a completely free 90-day trial. So get started today at excellence-expected.com forward slash Aweber and use the code EXEX. Hey, welcome to session six of the Straight Talking Guide to Launching Your First Product. My name is Mark Asquith and this, of course, is an Excellence Expected production. Now, you've come this far. You know how to talk to your customers. You created your MVP. You figured out whether the lifestyle's for you and you know exactly what you need to be measuring within your business. But now, let's move on to launching. Session six is all about how you generate the right attention for your launch by learning how to talk to the media, learning how to get the right journalists on side and learning how to get the media to work with you. That's what it's all about, the attention and the buzz. Now this session is a fantastic session with CEO and founder of Blonde20, Ailet Knopf. Now Ailet's company, Blonde20, is an international award-winning startup PR agency that generally works across the world and is regularly featured on TechCrunch, VentureBeat, Mashable and so on and so forth, all, all the biggest tech blogs out there. You will have come across their work and in fact, Blonde20 is the company that is responsible for the wildly successful Your App launch, which generated over 1 million users in just 48 hours. So this session, session six, is vital. Let's teach you how you can leverage the media for your product launch. Now, don't forget, this is the last session, session six, but there are two more bonus sessions available at excellence-expected.com. The first one is the growth hacks that you need to succeed. All of the secret growth hacks from tons of the world's most successful founders. That really is an unmissable session. And we've also got another session which is all about what to do if your product launch doesn't quite go to plan, what you can do next, how to fix that, what to do with your time, how to get over the problems that you may face during that launch. So again, another really important session. And those two sessions, along with all of the supporting content for these previous six sessions, so all of the resources, all of the downloads, the worksheets, the templates, everything to help you set up your first product, all of that is available at excellence-expected.com. So go ahead and dive in, get all of the resources because it is going to help with your launch. So let's get ready. Session six, let's dive in how you can get the right attention for your launch with Ailet Knopf of Blonde 2.0. So um, I founded Blonde 2.0 in 2006. Uh, you know, 2006 today seems like uh, basically dinosaur age. And um, we are 25 people. We have two branches, one in Tel Aviv, that's our headquarters, and the other one is in Boston, Massachusetts. And uh, we work with uh, about 60 startups at any given time. Um, since birth of Blonde2O, we've worked with hundreds of startups. Uh, I don't think uh, I'm exaggerating there. And, you know, we basically help these companies share their story with the world. So we basically help them 
understand how to, you know, share what they are doing in the best and most appealing manner uh, possible. We help them get the coverage that they deserve in the right publications. We help them with their social media strategy. Uh, we help them with, uh, you know, kind of getting speaking opportunities at different events and, you know, getting on stage. Uh, we help them create the buzz that they want to uh, create. Um, so, you know, essentially, you know, I, I like to think of it as really, you know, that we are the evangelists uh, of these startups, help, helping them to tell their story to the world. And I think we live in this sort of world where storytelling is just becoming more and more important. You know, it was it, it felt previously kind of reserved for the brands of the world, but I feel like now everyone's getting a chance to really tell their story. Is that a sort of a fair reflection of where, I guess, this is this is maybe a really naive question, but is that a fair reaction to sort of where PR is right now? So I think that, you know, some can tell their story obviously better than others. And there are so many stories out there because we live in an age of, you know, information overload. And I, I think that the... You know, that the key uh, talent in today's age is really how, you know, knowing how to tell your story in a unique manner. Okay, so basically, um, one of the things that I think is most important for any founder uh, to think about as he's telling his story uh, is, you know, and this comes also from talking to a lot of uh, reporters out there um, and understanding what's important for them to to know uh, when they hear uh, a startup story. So I think that the most important element is to know, you know, what problem you're solving in this world, right? Um, and who your competitors are and why is what you're doing better than your competitors? Because unless you can answer those three questions, then your story is not really more intriguing than any other story out there because, you know, there's so many social networks, there's so many, you know, applications, um, there's so many, you know, same as something else. And so really to tell your story in a unique manner, you need to be able to define what problem it is that you're solving and why are you doing it better than anyone else out there. Yeah, for sure. I think that's so important. I mean, you see right from sort of online entrepreneurs creating info products or creating content products, you know, right through to the startups that are Uber for X, you know, you see so many people just being a derivative of something else. And, and the story, I feel, is, as you, as you so eloquently put it, you know, it's the only thing that really sets you apart. It's the only real genuine USP that a lot of startups and businesses have got is the fact that you've got your own story and personality, isn't it, you know? Right. And I think, you know, that sometimes it's the story is even more important than than other elements, because I've seen so many, you know, startups that had great technology, they had great engineers, but they really couldn't, you know, describe what they do uh, in the right manner. And that's where they failed. Whereas other startups were just, you know, maybe had the same technology uh, or, or even a lesser technology, but were able to spread their story uh, and, and tell it in such a better way and really were able to succeed uh, more. So I think that, you know, it's it's probably one of those things that people, that some people may underestimate and is very important and key in your success. Yeah, for sure. One of the uh, one of the cool case studies that you've got on your website as well is is obviously the your case study, which when you when you sort of look into 
Blonde 2.0, your CEO is this really kind of big cornerstone of the work that you've done. And the case study in particular, uh, j- just from a marketer's perspective and from a content creation perspective is fantastic. So that's that's really impressively put together. And let's let's just sort of talk about you. Thank you. You're welcome. Let's just talk about you for a second. Um, what what's the background to that? Because everyone's heard of this app, you. You know, it kind of went crazy. What does it look like from your side? You know, you were involved in this. What did you do? And you sort of tell us that story a little bit. Right. So, um, well, we started working with Yo, obviously, before anyone knew about it. Uh, we um, actually got our hands on it. We also we always like to play with an app before we actually market it to the world just to understand, you know, what are the features uh, that are most uh, viral about it and most interesting. And, you know, if we see that it catches on in the office, then we know we got a hit on our hands. Uh, now, with Yo specifically, of course, there, were, there weren't that many features. It was just basically one feature. You could Yo your friends. And uh, we noticed that uh, as we were using it in the office, you know, you heard Yo, Yo, Yo. You heard Yo around the office the whole day. And so, you know, it really caught like fire. Um, and um, it's, you know, it's a very viral app for sure. Uh, but then again, we knew that it's the kind of app that you have to see in order to understand. Uh, it's not the kind of thing where I can send a, uh, you know, PR to someone and say, hey, this is an app that you can know your friends and they would totally get it and they want to write about it. Because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's more about actually seeing it and hearing that noise, the yo noise. Um, and so we knew we had to initially show it to someone in order to, you know, start start the process uh, and get it to spread. Um, so we decided that we were going to bring the, uh, what I think or who I think is the uh, most uh, influential uh, tech uh, person, uh, you know, living today, which I think is Robert Scoble. You know, Robert Scoble has been uh, a key figure in Silicon Valley. He is the one who, you know, basically made a lot of startups and also crushed a lot of startups. I always think he does it from a very uh, pure uh, place. I never think that he does it, you know, because he he really tries to, you know, uh, hurt anyone. He just basically always tells the honest truth. Um, and so I decided that uh, Robert Skull was probably the best person to show this to, uh, in order to, um, you know, to tell the story to the world. And uh, we brought Robert here to Israel. Uh, and we had him meet with the founder of Yo. Um, he saw the app. The first thing he did was uh, he uploaded a status to his Facebook. Uh, and the status uh, said, and I remember it until today, it said, I just saw the stupidest but most addictive app. Name Yo. And he uploaded it to his 600,000 followers on Facebook. And uh, just in that statement, think about that statement, because that statement is kind of, you know, that was our strategy is, is the idea that at the same time of being stupid, it can also be very addictive. So it's really the two kind of, you know, uh, camps that we created uh, uh, later on between, you know, um, the people who thought it was the most genius communication tool to the people who thought it was the most stupidest thing they've ever seen in their lives. And so... Um, you know, whether you hated it or you loved it, you wanted to say something about it. Um, and so he uploaded this uh, status to his Facebook. Um, 
This status was seen by one person in particular who uploaded it to Product Hunt. Uh, it went up on Product Hunt, um, and then um, on Product Hunt, it was upvoted, you know, um, to a very high uh, uh, ranking. And uh, one of the people who saw it was Tim Bradshaw from the Financial Times, who uh, wrote about it. Who wrote about Yo on Financial Times? That was the first article that we got. And um, unfortunately, Financial Times is uh, there's a paywall, and so not many people see it. I mean, there's you know obviously it has a huge uh, following, but um, but at the end of the day, not all the mainstream see it. Um, but one of the people who did see it uh, was a guy uh, called Paul Sawyer's, who is the writer who was back then at the Next Web. Today he's at uh, VentureBeat. And he uh, decided to write about it as well, and he wrote about it on the next web. The next web is not paywalled, and um, you know that's kind of like that was the beginning of of you know basically the uh, the fire. So uh, as soon as that happened, we sent our press release to all the publications. Uh, we sent it to about I think it was about thirty publications at that time. And uh, from there, we started seeing everything spread. So I could see on my Twitter feed, for example, everybody was starting to talk about uh, Yo. Um, that day uh, was the day also that Amazon came out with their um, with their phone, with their Fire Phone, and uh, everybody was kidding around about the fact that you know the the phone was already integrated with the the Yo app. Uh, it was also the day that Facebook came out with their Slingshot application. So it was a very, very kind of like, if you look at it from a uh, PR perspective, it was very difficult, a very challenging day to come out with, a, with an application uh, launch. And still we were able to kind of, you know, shove the other ones to the side. Um, Yo, within 48 hours, became uh, uh, the most downloaded application in history. Uh, we even uh, broke Instagram's record, uh, so we had a million downloads within 48 hours. And uh, it was really, you know, it was what's called the perfect PR storm. I mean, even if I would have tried to predict the success uh, that we had experienced, I couldn't have because it was just, you know, everything about it, the timing and, and you know, kind of every, how it rolled out was everything was really, really perfect about it. Um, so that, that was the beginning of Yo! And from there, you know, it skyrocketed. We continued to create the buzz through um, additional press releases as we went. So, um, for example, uh, we had... Um, we had announced that you know Yo received a one million dollar uh, um, fundraising, and everybody kind of like came out and said, "Hey, how the hell did this app that you know has one feature uh, get a million dollars?" So that was like the next story we came out with, and then uh, we had another story about a hackathon that we were doing, and then at that time there was also a war in Israel, and so you know one of the key features of Yo was basically that you could kind of you know open API, you could integrate into different services, and so one of those um, uh, developers uh, was a, a guy who developed uh, basically what's called the Red Alert, and it would it would uh, tell people if there was like a <laughs> If there was a, basically if, if if there was a missile being thrown at 
you know, the region where they were uh, at. So you would get a red alert, you know, you would get a yo every time there's a red alert uh, in your area. So there were different kind of like case studies as to, you know, how people were using yo and, you know, and this, this app, which seemed perhaps stupid to some people uh, initially, actually, you know, started uh, to uh, be utilized in ways that were more kind of intellectually stimulating as well. So, uh, you know, FedEx uh, uh, started using uh, Yo to, uh, to tell uh, people when their sh shipment was there. And, you know, it was basically being used as a notification system uh, more uh, by businesses. Uh, so we saw a lot of businesses starting to use the uh, service. And that was another kind of, you know, idea for another uh, press release that we did. So, you know, we, we, it was very important that we continue the buzz uh, and not just kind of like let it die down. That's unbelievable. I can't, I can't imagine the idea that someone's integrated that into a missile notification system. That's just blown my mind. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, we don't contend with that kind of thing here in Barnsley in South Yorkshire in England. We don't get that. So I'm just thinking, how can I integrate yo into my things now? Well, maybe, maybe it would have been something with Brexit back in the day. Like... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Maybe that you could have been. Have, you know, gotten a notification. Uh, you know, for uh, for the number of like X number of people have voted uh, to remain or to leave. I know which camp would have won that one. There'd have been a lot of yours on one side of that one. That's unbelievable. <laughs> That's a good idea. We should roll that back. That's fantastic. Now, as you say, that sounds like the perfect storm. You know, that sounds like the perfect kind of PR mix. And one thing that I kind of want to. I guess just really dig into a little bit further is kind of the anatomy of that because when you think about that in hindsight and you, you sort of take apart the campaign if you will what was it that made that such a success like if you could define two or three key elements of that what was it that really allowed that to, to set a light what, what were those things that really allowed it to take off well I think it was obviously you know, kind of the people involved, as I said, you know, I think that uh, um, Scoble shouldn't be underestimated. Um, I think that you do need to have certain key uh, influencers, if possible, at the beginning stage of your um, launch, uh, because uh, then they can help spread the word. Um, I think that your story, again, the way that we told the story, as I said, um, you know, Yo is the kind of app where a lot of people came out and said, this is stupid, you know, well, what is this? And then on the other hand, there were a lot of people who came out and said, you know what, this is the most genius communication tool I've seen because, you know, now I can just in one click, I can notify people um, about anything. So it's basically a notification system. Uh, you know, as we saw, the red alert is is kind of like a serious case uh, use case for how you use Yo. So I think that the way that you tell your story and the way that we crafted it um, to a place where, you know, no matter what you wanted to say your opinion, you wanted to give your two cents about it, uh, you know, just to tell people how you felt about it. So people need to feel strongly enough about your story in some way, whether you make it entertaining or scandalous. Or if you remember uh, back in the day uh, when there was that uh, whole uh, debate about the dress on uh, social media, um, that dress that was either you know blue and black, or I don't remember what it was, gold and something else, and everybody was talking about it. 
It was like, you know, you had to say your opinion. You just couldn't help yourself. And so I think that you need to make the story, you know, uh, uh, captivating enough uh, in order to, to get people involved in your story. So again, I think it's about the way you tell your story. I think it's about the people involved. And I think it's about, at the end of the day, having a product that works well. Uh, you know, whether it's just one feature or whether it's a few more features and something that's simple also. I always tell founders, um, you know, don't come out with something that's super complex at the beginning. Come, come out with something simple because you don't want to like over complicate things. Uh, and, and I think this also goes well, you know, kind of like with, with what you're preaching to people, you know, is kind of go out with a, a minimal uh, with an MVP, with a, a minimal product that, you know, kind of, that works, it really works. Uh, and from there you can build up, but you need to start out with something simple, something that people can digest. Yeah, I do believe, as you say, I do believe that's really, really important. I think it's very easy to bloat a product and, you know, I mean, the guys that are developing products, you're like, I'm, I'm sort of kind of a tech background, kind of a marketing background. So I've got one foot in each camp on that one. Mm -hmm. But I get excited by features. Like I'm the geek, you know, I'm the guy. I'm like, let's make it do all this fancy stuff and let's just make sure that it can sing off and do this. And actually what tends to happen then is you just get the core fundamentals wrong. You know, you if Facebook's wall didn't work, then Facebook wouldn't be Facebook. You know, if right. Twitter's tweet didn't work, then it wouldn't be Twitter. And I think that when you look back through history of, of, of so many companies, right back to hardware companies, right through the ages of sort of bricks and mortar and anything like that, you just, all you're doing is solving one, either creating a solution to one simple problem or just in the, in the, in the essence of your you're creating this debate around that. Like, what's the point in this? Someone sees it like this, someone sees it like that. I think that's really important. And sort of back to that idea of, of influencer marketing, if you will. How, in this world of so many startups, in this world of so many different influencers and so many different people vying for attention, how do you actually begin to craft a story that matters to the right people? Where would you advise people to start on that front? Um, so again, I think that every application out there or every service out there has its own influencers, if you will, right? Like I'm sure if you walked out on the street, well, maybe here people would know because I'm in a, a high tech type uh, area. But if you walked out on Fifth Avenue, for example, I don't know how many people would actually know who Robert Scoble is. But if you walk in Silicon Valley, everybody knows who, who Scoble is. And so I think that it's a, it's a matter of finding the influencers in your particular field. Who are the people who, you know, are, are really, you know, kind of being followed by, by a lot of you know, your target audience? Um, and so you can, you know, map those people quite easily um, through uh, Twitter, uh, and through kind of just doing a lot of research um, ahead of time on the web and finding those people and then getting them on your side. Actually, you know, kind of having them be a part of the process before you come out with your application is a good thing because then you, you know, you, 
they become a part of your cause. And so having, you know, maybe even a brainstorm session with some of them and kind of understanding like, you know, what they're looking for, uh, uh, what would be important for them uh, is, is something that's, that's key. So I think whether you're coming out with a medical service or whether you're coming out with a fitness app or whether you're coming with, you know, a nutrition app, um, you should always kind of see how many people, uh, how many influencers you can integrate into your process ahead of time um, to understand, you know, how you can get them on your uh, on your side uh, and get them, you know, to kind of work for you as well. And it's quite yeah, easy. Sure. It's quite easy today in in the world of you know social media and and everything is out there. Yeah, it is. It's, I think it's really important as well. Personally, I feel that a lot of people especially kind of early stage entrepreneurs and founders, they sort of see people like Robert Scoble and, and, and they see various other people that they believe to be influencers and that, that very obviously can influence the, the general consensus. They see them as these kind of untouchable people, um, but they are just people, aren't they? They are just people with interests like we have interests. And if it piques their interest, if the story, as you say, is compelling enough, um, and, and if, if you have the right kind of approach. I always remember some advice from um, Ignite from the Accelerator program here in the UK, um, who actually, they actually sponsor this guide actually at the moment. And they always said, whenever you're looking at funding, whenever you're looking at investment, whether it's angel through to VC, it's very much about the relationship. It's not about asking. It's actually, listen, I need some advice. Can you help with something? And the point that you just made there around, just start a discussion, start the brainstorming. I, I I wonder how many people would actually do that if they'd not been told to do it, you know? Right. And I, I don't think necessarily it's about, you know, I think people appreciate being a part of the brainstorming process without being asked to write about a particular application or to do something for you. You know, I think it's, you know, it's the whole thing about reciprocity, uh, and and we, you know, I kind of talk about that a lot. Is, you know, building the relationship with reporters. Uh, it's very important for me. It's always been in public relations very important for me to build a personal relationship with the writers that we, you know, that we we talk to on a, a daily basis because uh, it's not just about you know asking them for something all the time. It's about being there also for them. So whether that's, you know, organizing dinners around the world, for example, I'm organizing uh, a dinner soon uh, in London, uh, which by the way, I'd love to invite you to, we'll talk about that <laughs> later. Uh, or, uh, <laughs> or uh, you know, kind of, you know, if it's their birthday, then, you know, wishing them a happy birthday. It's, it's not, it's a relationship, just like in any type of you know, industry and any type of relationship out there that you have, whether it's with friends or at school, or you want to create a relationship where it's not just about um, taking, it's also about giving. Um, and I think that people, you know, really appreciate, uh, um, you know, being in that sort of relationship and not feeling that they also, they always need to, to, to give you something. And when you go to an influencer and you say, Hey, listen, I'm creating this app, this, you know, fitness app, for example, and uh, it's really your 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 feedback is really important to me, and I would really love to hear, you know, 
how how you train people and and you know what you've learned from your experience and that can really kind of you know they understand that hey this person is just looking for my knowledge they're not looking for anything additional from me um, I think that's uh, something that's uh, you know can be very kind of you know it's it speaks to the ego but also it speaks to the heart yeah, I like that. It speaks to the ego and also speaks to the heart. That's a really good takeaway, actually. I like the, I do like that value add. You know, you've got to help people as well as at the end of the day, people are influencers. They get approached from people that just want to take that influence all day long. You know, if you can stand out and do something different, I think that's that's so vital. Aweber is an email service provider. We were founded in 1998, and we provide a full suite of web-based email marketing tools so that you can grow your list, you can create and send beautiful emails, and you can also set up email automation, different workflows uh, to automate emails being sent to your subscribers. And this is absolutely crucial for entrepreneurs when they're launching their product because you need to know your audience and they need to know you and start to build a relationship with you. So you can build up anticipation for your product launch. You can promote your product after it's launched. And you can really continue to have the conversation with your subscribers in in a very personal place, which is their inbox. We typically do a 60-day trial. But for this podcast, we're going to be offering a 90-day free trial that's up to 500 subscribers. If you have 500 subscribers on your list. And to get access to that, simply use the code XX, that's E-X-E-X, when you go to sign up for your AWeber account. And you can get all the details on this offer at excellence-expected.com slash AWeber. Listen, for any small business, cash flow is a big, big deal. Knowing what's coming in and what's going out, and more importantly, when, will of course help businesses like mine and like yours to survive. But beautiful accounting software from Zero can actually help your business to thrive. Zero helps small businesses like yours, like mine, to stay on top of their cash flow anytime, anywhere, and from any device. And with over 100,000 UK subscribers alone, it's clear that Zero is the UK's leading cloud accounting software. To try Zero for free for 30 days, head to excellence-expected.com forward slash zero. That is X E R O. Jim Rohn once said that we're the average of the five people that we spend the most time with. And when you start your business, being around the right people can mean the difference between success and failure. The Ignite Accelerator program is a place to focus. It's a place to make lifelong friends and it's a place to create a network ranging from top investors to some of the world's most successful founders and entrepreneurs. How do I know? Because I spent 14 weeks of my own life going through the program and it changed me. It made me into a measurably better entrepreneur. So if you are ready to focus, if you are ready to take your passion and turn it into a real business, then you're ready to take action today and check out this free accelerator program. But hey, don't just take my word for it. Find out for yourself over at excellence-expected.com forward slash ignite. All right, we are back. So we've just talked about Ayla tonight, talked about how you actually can use a case study like your, how companies like Blonde20 can help your business move forward with your MVP launch. And what we're going to do now is actually step into a little bit more action around how you can craft the story, how you can pitch the media, how you can give your launch the best chance of success. So I'm going to open with a really broad question, actually, Ayla, on this this section. The media is this kind of big, 
open-ended word. You know, it feels like this big insurmountable thing that us as startup founders and online entrepreneurs have to somehow try and crack. What is the current state of the media when it comes to tech and when it comes to startups and when it comes to new products and services? How overall, how receptive is that audience to people like us? Okay. So, um, you know, Mike Butcher from uh, TechCrunch, uh, who you probably uh, have heard of, <laughs> uh, he always likes to say, he has, by the way, he has a great presentation about how to pitch the media. And he always likes to tell uh, entrepreneurs, the fact that you exist isn't news. So people need to remember that. You know, I, I get a lot of startups that come to my office and they say, hey, you know, we just launched a startup. Let's tell everyone. And I say, well, that's great. You know, but the fact that you exist is a news. Uh, you need to have a certain technology that you developed uh, on your own or, or you know, a unique story to tell. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that the first thing that you got to uh, um, kind of, you know, realize is, you know, to write a very, very short pitch. Uh, when you're thinking of how to pitch the media, the first thing that you need to do is create a very short pitch with the uh, messages which I talked about before is discussing what is, you know, what is it that you do? How is it unique? How is it different than anyone else? And you need to be able to tell someone that in a 30 second elevator pitch, you really need to have a very short, succinct paragraph. Because most reporters out there and the ones in, in TechCrunch and VentureBeat and these prestigious publications, they don't have time to you know, sit there and, and read a whole wall of text. They want to get something that's very short and succinct. If they're interested in more information, they'll ask you. Um, so just send them a very short email saying, hey, this is what I do. This is why I'm different. This is why I'm cool. And see if they're interested. And if they are, they'll tell you. They'll come back and they'll tell you. Um, some more, you know, we, we have uh, on our website, by the way, we have a, a series called How to Pitch Me, which is a series that we've done uh, in the last few years uh, asking reporters how they like to be pitched. So all the advice that I'm giving right now, that's stuff that, you know, I kind of learned from, uh, from those different uh, submissions that we received. And so they always prefer email. You should always use email as opposed to, you know, don't call a reporter uh especially you know if if the reporter for example doesn't get back to you uh you send an email and he doesn't get back to you you can follow up but then if you uh you still don't hear from that reporter most cases i would say don't follow up a third time and definitely don't call <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of need to learn like where to draw the line uh as far as that's concerned uh, always try to be honest and be transparent. You know, a lot of companies out there, they like to use words like revolutionary and, and what of a kind. And, you know, don't use words that are over exaggerated for that matter. Be very, you know, kind of transparent about what it is that you do and try to very clearly explain it, what it is that you do. Because if you don't do that and you over exaggerate what you're doing and then the reporter gets back to you and says, really, you're one of a kind. And then they find out that you, you know, that, that that's completely incorrect. They'll never trust you again. So, again, it's about building the relationship uh, of trust with the reporter and making sure that they uh, that they understand exactly what it is that you do and exactly what you're delivering. 
I like the idea of, of, of how to pitch these people. So I'm really keen to get that in the show notes. We'll put some links into the website and the series over on, on your website as well to make sure people have got that as a resource. Because that, that's a very, I feel that's a very evergreen and very important thing that we can just all continue to use forever. So I think that's, that's a really, really good resource. And how do you craft this story then? Like, what are the elements that really matter? You know, what should you put in there? What should you leave out? What What does the media like? What does the media dislike? What You know, what does this perfect story look like? Um, I think it depends. First of all, you need to ask yourself, who is my target audience? And again, you have to remember that your target audience is the writer. The writer will then think about his readers. But your target audience, when you're writing your release, and, and by the way, you don't need to write a press release per se, because a lot of people, such as Mike Butcher, for example, say that the press release is dead. Um, you can just write, you know, a few paragraphs in an email. Uh, but you need to ask yourself, who is my target audience? What are they interested in? Um, if your pitch is to a business writer, then it should be very different than to a tech writer. Um, so you need to kind of tweak your pitch, your tweak your story according to who it is that you're pitching uh, at that particular time. Okay, so when we think about, you, you sort of mentioned there around, um, if you say you're different, you kind of have to illustrate how different you are. And obviously in an elevator pitch, that's going to be really difficult to do. So in your opinion, what are the, what makes a really good elevator pitch? What are the elements or what are the, are there any, any things to just completely avoid in an elevator pitch? What's that, what's that first email look like? I think that you need to think about your unique selling points and, and what it is that you're doing differently than other people. Now, don't it, it, try to avoid using vague sentences like, you know, this is a revolutionary platform building, you know, the world's next blah, 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 because that doesn't really say anything to me. Try to use words that are very kind of um, basic and simplistic, because, again, you're trying to explain what it is that you do. Even if what you do is, you know, as, as simple and mundane as, you know, sending a yo to someone, that's, you know, that's basically your core message. That's what you need to say. So I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't use uh, um, over-exaggerated words. I would just say exactly what it is that I do. I would read ahead of time also what these writers that you're pitching have written about and what interests them. So if, for example, I know that uh, a specific writer is interested in, you know, uh, uh, tennis or if a, if a different writer is interested in Game of Thrones, I would try to, you know, kind of see how I can integrate my pitch into, uh, into their interest. Uh, I can tell you, for example, that uh, um, recently we um, uh, pitched a couple of different writers uh, that we knew liked Game of Thrones, the finale. We pitched them a story uh, of a company that, uh, that uh, is, um, uh, they, they basically can analyze the sentiment on Twitter on different topics. Uh, and so what we did was we analyzed uh, the sentiment of people on the finale of Game of Thrones. Uh, and uh, we utilized that pitch in order to basically, you know, um, appeal to, to specific writers. So try to find out, try to research ahead of time what interests different writers uh, and, and kind of integrate that into your story as well. 
I love the idea of using the product and tying it to something that's highly relevant to the to the reporter or the person that you're trying to pitch. I, I fear that, you know, when you think about founders and you think about online entrepreneurs and people that are sat here creating things, I, I, I worry that we just create too much generic content. We just send too many generic things out to everyone feeling that because we live this product, we live this service, you know, we get it right down to the most granular level. We get the entire thing and we're in love with this thing. I feel like we just create this generic content, these generic pictures, send it to everyone, hoping that somehow this passion and all this belief that we have will be translated. And it, it very rarely is. So the idea of of showing a use case and demonstrating something valid to that person, of course, it's going to take more time. But do the results then just reflect that? You know, do you, I would imagine you stand a much better chance of, of succeeding with results if you do that kind of thing. Right, and I, I also think that you know you're not going to always have news about your product. You're not always going to have a funding story or a release of a new version. You want to see what you can take from the news agenda. What's happening in the news? What are people talking about? and see how you can integrate that into your story uh, in order to make it more interesting, whether that's the finale of Game of Thrones or whether that's ISIS or, or you know, a million things out there. But really, you know, try to kind of you know, read up and, and see what people, what trends people are talking, what's trending on Twitter, uh, for example, um, and kind of take from that and build it into your story. Um, you know, with the Olympics happening now, for example, um, so we're seeing, um, I have, I have a specific, uh, company that I'm working with that, um, helps, uh, they have a, a technology that uh, authenticates, a um, identification card. Um, so we're seeing how we can build, you know, basically the idea of people traveling and authentic, ah, I can't say the word, authentication <laughs> cards, uh, into that story. Um, so again, it's all about kind of like, you know, when you're building your PR strategy and looking ahead, it's all about thinking of key milestones that are happening, whether it's even holidays and how you can integrate your story into a holiday, or whether it's shopping season, um, you know, taking stuff that's happening and, and interesting to people at that particular point in time and seeing how you can integrate that. It, that feels like... I'm imagining people sat there listening to this now, taking the notes, thinking about how they can devise their own strategy and just thinking to themselves, wow, this feels like a lot of ongoing work, which of course, you know, it is. And especially when you're creating content and, and you're sort of doing the content marketing for your business as well, which might be tied into events and seasonal effects and so on and so forth. It feels like a very similar thing. So if someone's on a relatively tight time frame, or if you know that the, there's the whole challenge around time and budget and everything else that just melts into this pressure pot of being a founder or an online entrepreneur, where where should people really, really focus their attention? Now, the reason that I ask that is obviously you talk a heck of a lot on, on, on the things that you do in terms of interviews and blogs and so on around this peso model, around the different types of content out there, the different types of marketing and advertising. Let's just talk through those, maybe figure out where people should, if they're a little bit struggling for time, where should they, sh they should focus their time and their attention. Have you got any thoughts on that kind of idea? Yeah, so just for, for anyone who's listening and, and doesn't know, isn't familiar with the PESO model, so the PESO model stands for uh, paid, earned, shared, and owned media. And really to have a successful marketing campaign, you need to have 
those four different pillars in, in place. So um, obviously the paid speaks for itself. That's anything that you pay for, whether that's Google ads or, or Facebook media. Uh, the earned um, is the heart of what you know we do, which is basically um, earned media that <clears throat> you can't pay for that. You can't pay for a record article. You know That's something that you need to earn. You, you need to earn the credibility of the writer uh, in order to um, get that piece. Um, then the shared media is anything that's on social networks. So your Facebook page, your Twitter profile, uh, all of your social networking activity. And then the owned media is your podcast, your website, your blog, anything that you own. So you really need to have these four pillars in place in order to have a, a successful marketing campaign. Um, you're asking me, you know, what can I kind of give up if I don't have the, the resources or the, or the time? I really don't think that you can uh, give anything uh, up because I think you need to have those four elements in order to succeed. I think that the hardest and purest form uh, to attain is the earned media, obviously, because that's the one that you really need to, to earn on your own and you can't pay for. Um, but I think, you know, that any company, uh, that, you know, it, any company that underestimates the power of, you know, marketing, it doesn't really understand the value of marketing, isn't going to be able to succeed. Um, you need to be able to market yourself. You need to be able to give yourself the appropriate amount of time to, uh, you know, to, to, to become a success. Uh, I have yet to see a company that, you know, was acquired or that became hugely successful uh, without, you know, creating that kind of huge brand awareness uh, beforehand. Yeah, and that really does just focus entirely then back on the story, doesn't it? It focuses on that. You, you, I feel like you need this true north all of the time. So any any one of those four types of marketing, four types of content and, and you know, awareness and everything that goes around those, I feel like it's all it's all focused on the story. The true north is does what I'm doing here, whether it's paid, whether it's earned, whether it's shared or owned, you know, does this fit with the story that I'm trying to tell? Does that fit to my true north? So it feels as if, one, to pitch the media successfully, two, to create successful marketing campaigns and PR campaigns, and three, to kind of, to step outside of this sort of topic for a second, th number three, to kind of scale up the business in a way that's sustainable. It feels like, really feels like the story just underpins everything. Is that is that a really fair distillation of everything that, that you guys sort of put out there? Yeah, I also think that, you know, a lot of people, um, they kind of uh, uh, mistake advertising to PR and the results of PR as opposed to the results of advertising because, you know, people will come and ask, okay, so th they'll, they'll look at a TechCrunch article, for example, that they got and they'll say, okay, so how much traffic came to my website? They'll measure it based on how much traffic they got to their website and how many downloads they got. And I don't think, and I'm actually writing a, an article about this now uh, for Forbes, I don't think that that is the way that you should be measuring for uh, your, your PR, sorry. Uh, P 
PR should be measured upon, you know, the business development opportunities that you get and the, the kind of audience that you're able, the quality of the audience that's seeing the coverage that you're getting. So, for example, you know, I may get uh, only 50 downloads from a TechCrunch article, but I may get a call from a top investor who wants to invest in me, or I may get a call from, you know, a company that wants to partner with me uh, because they like my technology. Um, that kind of call is not something that will be measured at the end of the, of the day by Google Analytics. And so that's why it's very important to remember that PR is not the same as advertising, whereas advertising is measuring, you know, the number of clicks or the traffic that you're getting or downloads or whatever it may be. That is a very different sort of matrix. Uh, than, you know, what you should be measuring your PR on. And so that's why it's so important to have those four elements in place because each one of them is giving you something else. You know, uh, if you're looking for downloads, I would definitely say go and, and advertise out there. You know, don't do PR for downloads because PR is not about downloads. PR is about, you know, kind of getting that recognition from the right audience. Uh, advertising is about downloads. Uh, if you want to create a buzz, you know, go go out on Facebook and Twitter and, you know, become more active in the social media space. Uh, um, so each one of those pillars, they have a different role to play, if you will, in the marketing strategy at the end of the day. I think that's a really, really, really nice sort of summation of everything. I think that, especially for the first time entrepreneur or the early stage founder, I, I, I do think that this kind of thing creeps up on them. Suddenly they need to market. Suddenly they need to do PR. And I think a lot of the time, I completely agree that people mix the two up and, and very often attribute the wrong type of results or they, they get disenchanted with certain types of activity because they're measuring it in the wrong way. So I think that is a really, really nicely and you know very well articulated way of distilling that for people. So thank you for that. And what I'd like to do now is we're just going to wrap it up in a second, but what I think we should do is really just talk through, if you were starting again, if you were creating your own launch plan, what would be maybe three to five sort of steps that you would take in order to craft the story and pitch the media? That's putting you right on the spot there. What would you do if it was you doing it all over again? Uh, all right. Well, uh, the first thing, and I'm going to be, re you know, repeating a lot of what I said here, but the first thing that I'm going to be doing is really taking a look at my USPs. Uh, based on my USPs, I will define, you know, kind of like what are the different angles, what are the different stories that I want to go to the media with. Um, I will create a PR strategy. You don't need to think too much ahead. You should just think about, you know, maybe the next four months ahead of, you know, the different type of stories that you can go out with. As I said, with, with what we did with Yo, you, you can never let it die down. So even if you have, even if you go out with your first story and it's usually successful, uh, people have a very short-term memory and within two weeks or so, they tend to forget unless you're still in the news. So it's very important to kind of keep yourself uh, at top of mind of people and always make sure that you have uh, different stories that you're you're bringing to the press and you don't necessarily need to hit the same sort of press all the time like as I said you're going to have different stories and you should target them to different audiences so one of those one of your stories may have an angle that's more of a businessy type angle and another story that's more of a techie type angle and one that maybe you know involves Game of Thrones and becomes uh, more mainstream uh, type angle so really try to find a way to kind of, you know, stay at top of mind. At the same time, I would also 
work on my social media strategy and getting those influencers involved in my products somehow. So take a look at who the influencers are in your space and um, try to get them on your side, try to get them uh, to uh, become a part of your project before you launch so that they can then uh, help and become your evangelists uh, when you do launch. Uh, you know, and I would definitely, you know, be on all the different platforms that are important, uh, uh, whether that's Facebook or Twitter. It depends on what kind of product you have, right? Because if you have a B2C type product, it's a very different strategy than if you have a B2B type product. You know, I would say if you're doing something B2C, you should probably be more on Facebook, Twitter, uh, whereas if you have a B2B type product, it should probably be LinkedIn and Quora. It also depends on the age, you know, demographic, because if you're looking at the younger, uh, demographic, then, uh, you should probably be on Snapchat, uh, a lot more. And, um, you know, if you're looking at the older demographic, then, then mostly Facebook, we, we noticed that, you know, as, as, uh, we grow older, probably we tend to use different platforms. Um, so you know, as I said, I would use the Pezzo model. I would integrate all of those different elements if possible. I would use the paid media. I would use the social media uh, and definitely try to create relationships with the reporters uh, and make it a relationship of reciprocity. You know, don't just ask for things, but actually, you know, try to go out and go to conferences and meet them and, and get to know them on a personal basis and what matters to them and customize your pitches to them. Ayelet, thank you so much. That is really, really good stuff. And I'm looking forward to getting that in the show notes as well, because I think there's a lot of very key specific takeaways from that entire session, which I think will be so, so helpful for founders and online entrepreneurs, especially the guys creating the first product, you know, doing this for the first time. So thank you so much for that. And just before we actually press stop on the old recorder, where's the best place for people to connect with you online? Where can they find everything that you guys do? All right, so our website is blonde20.com. Uh, you can find me. You can always email me at ayelet at blonde20.com. I'm also Ayelet Knopf on Twitter. Uh, and uh, on Facebook, I'm actually facebook.com slash ayelet. Uh, I don't think I'm very hard to find. If you just do ayelet plus blonde2o, you'll find me everywhere. I'm pretty uh, out there. <laughs> wow. What a powerful session. I think every session in this guide has taught not only me things that I didn't know, but kind of unearthed things that you would never think about. That's the beauty of talking to so many different experts. And hopefully this entire guide, this entire season, has given you the roadmap, the blueprint that you need to put into action your own product launch. So whether you're a first-time founder, whether you're a sidepreneur, a entrepreneur, someone working outside of the normal nine-to-five to generate your own product, this guide has given you everything you need to take that idea through to a successful launch. But it's also about how you actually apply what you've learned because all of this can be cut in so many different ways. So you need to take from this what you need to take from it and apply it in a way that is gonna allow you to take the best action and make the best use of your time. So we've come through six entire sessions, a complete guide from ideation to MVP, but we're not quite finished. Don't forget that we've got two bonus sessions that aren't available anywhere else other than at excellence-expected.com. We've got a session on the secret growth hacks of the world's biggest and best entrepreneurs. 
and we've got another session on what to do if your launch doesn't quite go as planned because let's be honest life happens things don't always go to plan so two extremely important extremely vital sessions that just really go ahead and really supplement what you've already learned throughout this guide so check those out at excellence-expected.com and also don't forget don't forget that all the resources, all the tools that we've created that support this guide in each session within this guide can also be found over at the website, excellence-expected.com. Now, we also discuss startup ideas. We also create a community for you to share your ideas and gain feedback and obviously help other people in your position, other early stage entrepreneurs who are needing some attention and some help as well. And the best place to get involved on that is over on Facebook. So go ahead, log into Facebook and search for Excellence Expected and go ahead and join the free group there because that's a really nice support network of founders, mentors, early stage entrepreneurs just like you. And obviously I'm in there every single day so I'm going to see you over on Facebook as well and anything that you need please reach out to me directly via the website please don't hesitate I will be there to help you I hope this has given you what you need I'm looking forward to seeing what you've created please let me know what you do create using this guide and don't forget the more you expect from yourself the more you will excel <laughs>